Hello and welcome to the PCOS Nutritionist Podcast. If we haven't met yet, I'm Claire. I'm a registered nutritionist and I have a background in exercise science as well and also natural fertility education. And I have PCOS too, so I know what it's like. I know how frustrating it is, the symptoms that you don't quite understand, why I'm still getting acne, you know, in my late 20s, 30s, why my periods have suddenly disappeared, why I can't lose weight. All those things, I understand it, I get it, and my role really is to help you to understand your bodies because it's taken me about a decade to figure it out. Even after graduating as qualified nutritionist and exercise scientist, I still couldn't understand it, so it's taken me a lot longer to really get into the depths of PCOS, and yeah, that's really what the purpose of the podcast is, to help you. So this is a a mini podcast, a QA and a one, where I answer questions that you guys have submitted from our Instagram stories. And it's, okay, I just want to, before we get into this quickly, if you guys can hear some buzzing in the background, I'm really sorry, but it's our neighbours who have been repainting, they're sending back their house and repainting it for, oh, approximately the last five years. Um, <laughs> jokes aside, it has been going on for a long time, and I've just been sitting here at my desk for about the last hour waiting for a break in the sanding, and I was just like, it's not going to happen, so... I'm sorry if you can hear that in the background, but um, unfortunately can't do much about it and I'm just having to laugh instead and sit here with a blanket over the top of me to try and like buffer any other noise. So I hope that you guys are having a great week. There has been so many questions in the question boxes and um, it's so hard to choose which ones are best to kind of answer on here and what will... um, what will help as many of you as possible. So this week I've picked out a few... um, one, the first one is from Daniela, and her questions to two of them, which were all around. So the first one was, if I stop taking hormonal birth control, will cysts form right away? And what is hormonal birth control actually doing to my body? So we did a really big three-part series on different forms of contraception a few weeks ago. And first, the first one was on hormonal birth control, which was about an hour and a half long where we went into all of the different hormonal birth control options and sort of the pros and cons. So I'll direct you back to that one, Daniela, but I just wanted to quickly address your question about will, if I stop taking the pill, will the cysts form right away? And I just thought maybe this was quite a common misconception that there is out there, that the pill is stopping cysts being formed. And actually, what are the cysts in PCOS? So just going back, the the cysts in PCOS aren't actually cysts at all. Okay, I know this is mind-blowing considering that is the name it's given, but they are actually just follicles or follicles are just baby eggs. So if you think about in your ovaries, you have hundreds of these little follicles, these baby eggs. They're not called an egg until they're actually released. So before then, it's called a follicle. And your body has to, when you go to ovulate, your body has to develop that follicle into a dominant follicle Um, and if anyone's been through fertility treatment you'll know that term very well because this is what fertility specialists are looking for when they put you on fertility drugs to see whether your body has developed a dominant follicle basically it's just a big follicle so if you can think about it all in your ovaries you've got all these little eggs um, and when your body decides so when it's due to ovulate it'll pick one out it'll be like right and it'll be looking through the eggs and it'll be like you I choose you kind of like when you're choosing teams in school for basketball right like right who's the tallest who is going to be on my team to be the defender 
And that's pretty much what your body is doing is going, right, who are we going to look for to put all our eggs in basket and develop that one egg? Who's the most likely to get to be a big enough size that it's going to be released? And so it picks that one to develop into this dominant follicle. Um, so that is what's happening inside your ovaries. If your body fails to ovulate, so if it's, and this is really common in PCOS and especially if you've got, like, if your periods are more than, say, you know, 30 three days long then it's really common that your body will have attempted to ovulate isn't quite able to get that dominant follicle to the right size and and release it and so it then is like right it discards that egg it it can't really do anything with it it can't just try again with that one it's sort of like it's a one hit wonder one chance you've got one one chance only to get to size if not you're discarded pretty rough right but it's those kind of discarded eggs that don't quite reach the size. That's what you can think about as the cysts on your ovaries. Okay. So when actually when we're talking about like um, the anatomical terms, um, ovarian cysts are completely different to the cysts on PCOS. So just think about um, the cysts on PCOS being incorrectly named. It could It should be called polyfollicular ovarian syndrome the only reason it's called polycystic ovarian syndrome i think is because when the guys who discovered scientists who, who discovered the syndrome they said the ovaries had a cyst-like appearance they did not say the ovaries have cysts they had a cyst-like appearance okay and this is where kind of the name came and actually um there's been so many conferences discussing the name and getting the name changed and to something a bit more relevant to what actually PCOS is, like metabolic reproductive syndrome, right, which is much more um, descriptive of what's actually going on in PCOS. Metabolic issues with our insulin and our stress hormones and the, and the hormones that govern our metabolism and the hormones that govern our, govern our reproduction, like our testosterone and our luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone. So just think, try and almost not worry about the cyst part Daniela like it is not what you want to be more worried about is am I ovulating and because ovulating is not just for pregnancy ovulating is so important for so many other functions in our body a it's kind of it gives us a really good scorecard report card about whether our hormones are functioning well if we're ovulating it's a really good sign um and b it's important for our breast health our bone health and our heart health so to the second part of your question um so the first part of your question is will cysts form in pcos so the things the reason why you get more follicles on your ovaries is if you're not ovulating or if your body's taking longer to ovulate say it's you know you've got 60 day cycles your body will have attempted to ovulate many times during that cycle and so there's potentially many discarded cysts there or follicles um, so it's nothing about the pill that's stopping that. That's not why they, why you go on hormonal birth control for PCOS. The reason why they prescribe hormonal birth control for PCOS is so that you get a bleed. It's one of the main reasons. Um, this is because there, there is a concern for people with PCOS that if you aren't getting a regular period, then your endometrial lining, which is what you lose when you get a period, so that's what actually what forms the blood, is the lining of your uterus. When you aren't, when that isn't shedding and you're not getting a period, then that could thicken and therefore your risk of endometrial cancer could be slightly higher. I did a whole mini podcast on this, 
So we'll link to that in the show notes as well as, as that podcast to understand more about endometrial cancer risk and, and where this comes in and do you have to be worried about it and is it, you know, does it warrant taking hormonal birth control? Um, which is a really big question because we do know that hormonal birth control increases your risk of many other things. So it's kind of like, are we just, you know, um, selling from Peter to pay Paul? And then I've lost my train of thought. Oh my gosh, I just went on off on a tangent on that. But <laughs> going back to talking about what it's actually doing is that the other reason they might prescribe hormonal birth control is because some of the progestins in hormonal birth control can be quite good for helping with some of the symptoms in PCOS. So some of the newer progestins, and this is why I did that whole podcast on hormonal birth control, was to give show you some of the options, some of the ones, and I've done a couple of different posts on Instagram about this as well, some of the different pills that have beneficial effects in reducing your testosterone levels in PCOS. And this testosterone is the reason why you get symptoms like hair loss and facial and body hair growth and acne um, and so if you can remove that or reduce that sorry we don't we don't remove testosterone entirely but if you can reduce your testosterone or androgens then that can really help with those symptoms so that's why we really want to you know that's why you may be prescribed hormonal birth control um, it's not because it stops you know the little follicles and in, in um, PCOS but because it can help with those other symptoms so in terms of what it's actually doing to your body, that's what you can go back and listen to that podcast on and talks about what the mechanism of action is, so how it's actually working inside your body, what it's doing, and sort of the pros of that and also the risks associated with that. Um, but I think the one thing um, that most women don't realize is that the hormonal birth control, and it really depends on what you're taking, but when we're talking about the combined pill, which is the most common one prescribed, um, really it's stopping you from ovulating. And that's how it works as a, you know, as a hormonal birth control, because if you're not ovulating, you're not releasing an egg, then the sperm's got no egg to meet and you cannot get pregnant. Um, but the downside of that is that you are then not producing any of your own progesterone and estrogen. And that's really important for so many other things like your, as I said before, your bone health and your heart health and um, your breast health. And also, too, there are kind of some other downsides of that, too. We know that the pill is associated with higher risks of anxiety and depression. And I list all of those stats out in the podcast on hormonal birth control, so go back and listen to that. Um, and we also know that many women, up to two-thirds of people with PCOS, have um, mental health issues, depression and anxiety. And so it's kind of like, are we, again, are we stealing from Peter and making those symptoms or trying to you know give you a bleed to reduce your risk of endometrial cancer but then increasing your risk of getting depression so this is where my um i'm really in favor of people understanding what they're taking what it's doing to them and understanding what their all of their options and then you being able to make the choice that's right for you okay so that's why i've outlined those in those podcasts there next question kirby um kirby saying i eat meat but I've still got iron deficiency. Is this common in PCOS? Is it common to have iron deficiency? No, not necessarily. Many women with many sorry people with PCOS can have actually high levels of iron. Um, so I often see this in clinic. Um, is a, a condition called iron overload or hemochromatosis. This is when their body absorbs too much iron, and it can 
be very damaging on your insulin if you have too much iron. But then I would see many people with PCOS as well with iron deficiency, so the opposite side, like you Kirby, who aren't absorbing iron well, even if they're eating an iron-rich diet like red meat, um, they're not actually being able to absorb that. And this can come down to many factors. Genetics play a huge part in how well you can actually absorb iron. Um, also, gut health plays a massive role because if you imagine that if you have if your gut health isn't right, you've got maybe a parasitic infection or something like that, then your ability to actually absorb the iron across that you eat from your gut and into your bloodstream is going to be much reduced. So I would, um, instead of just thinking, okay, this is just a PCOS thing, no, it's more you individual variability. Um, and so this is why I wouldn't say to all people with PCOS you need to be supplementing with iron. I would say you need to be getting your own iron tested and see whether you are deficient or not. Um, but iron is incredibly important for um, so many different processes in the body. Um, thyroid is a really big one that's often not um, thought about. So if you've got a thyroid condition, like 20, 25% of you statistically listening to this do, then you actually need iron to convert your thyroid hormones properly. So um, yeah, I would say it's down to getting your own iron tested, understanding your own levels. And this is where you really need to, um, you know, take control of your health, not expecting your doctor is going to be doing all of this proactive work. They're probably not. They're, um, you know, their funding is probably not high enough that they can do all of that and their workload. Um, and also, that's just not the way our conventional medicine system is actually set up, is in the preventative side. So it's more in the reactive treatment side. So if you want to understand more about your like vitamin D and B12 and iron levels and nutrient levels, you're probably going to need to be going and getting those tested yourself. And for many of us, that means just going and paying the lab to do them. I mean, this is what I do. In New Zealand, we have a public health system, but vitamin D testing is not funded. Ridiculously, ridiculously. I mean, we are so far from the equator. And that means that in the winter we cannot get enough vitamin D from our sun. We know that the majority of the population are vitamin D deficient, and yet, do we cover the testing? No, we do not. So uh, I just go down to the lab and request it myself. It's one of the tests that I can just request to pay for. It's $40, and I just get it done every six months at least to check my vitamin D levels, which is as much as what I'd pay to go to the doctor anyway. So I kind of look at that and go, well, I'd rather spend it and just get the test done quicker and easier than having to go and, and fight my doctor to get that tested. My doctor's amazing, but um, that's, you know, if I don't need to go and see her about anything else, that's kind of just what I do. So if that's the case for you, I mean, first and foremost, if your doctor isn't supportive of um, helping you in proactive health, find someone else. Um, but secondly, then if, you know, if you can find an easy way like me and just go and audit testing yourself, then I'd really recommend it. Um, but for you, Kirby, I'd really be looking at what is it then if you're eating an iron-rich diet, why isn't your body absorbing it? Um, and I mean, there's nothing much you can do to change your genetics. If you do, though, have a genetic condition that affects your ability to actually absorb iron, then it's really about um, you're going to probably have to eat more to, or t you know, supplement as well. Or get you know iron iron infusions or something like that um, to make sure that you've got optimal levels. If you're if you're really suffering from symptoms of low iron, I mean many people can operate with relatively low iron with no adverse symptoms um, as well. And so, but if you are like if you're really fatigued, if there's you know thyroid issues, if there's other things that are s systems in your body that are dependent on iron that aren't working properly, 
um, and you need more iron, then you probably need to work out why you aren't absorbing it or how you can get more or a bit of both. This likely isn't something that you can work out on your own. You'll need to work with a professional to understand this. And this is what I would really pay for as someone's experience in helping you understand. Otherwise, you could go on for years and years and years in terms of not getting enough iron or not understanding the repercussions of having too little iron in your diet or in your, sorry, in your body more so. Um, next question, Kirsten, what causes an absence of periods after coming off the pill and what can you do about it? Good question. Many things. Really, it's about understanding why that's been the case for, um, and I did mention this in the big episode on hormonal birth control, but um, we need to understand that for a lot of women, when they come off hormonal birth control, their periods don't just regulate like that. And it can take up to six cycles, I think was the stat. You'll have to go back and listen to that one to understand exactly what the stat was. Um, but up to, you know, up to, let's say, six cycles to regulate after coming off hormonal birth control. And But then there's also other reasons. Um, one is that the pill's been covering up a lot of things that have been going on. So it's that you might have come off the pill and you didn't realize that you had PCOS while you were on the pill coming off it. It's suddenly really apparent. And so then it's the same thing, looking at the figuring out what that root causes. Is it that your insulin's high? Is it that your stress hormone's high? Is it a combination of those two? Is it your thyroid's also not working properly and that's also stopping your body from being able to ovulate? So don't just think, read up and go, oh yeah, okay, I was on the pill, I came off the pill, therefore I've got this post-pill PCOS thing. Um, no, possibly not. And possibly there's also some other things like insulin resistance there as well. Um, and don't just disregard that because you're like, oh no, but I eat really well, I live a healthy lifestyle, I'm not overweight. Neither am I, right? But I still had pretty significant insulin resistance even as an international athlete. Okay, so please don't think, I know the dominant way of thinking is people with pre-diabetes or insulin resistance are obese and they eat McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts five times a day. They do not, okay? Most of the women that I work with, most of the people that I work with are healthy, leading a healthy lifestyle and still have some insulin resistance. Um, we need to get away from the stigma of um, that pre-diabetes is only caused by an unhealthy lifestyle. It is not. It is largely genetically determined, and even we can do a lot about that, but it just means that we just have to adapt our lifestyle, even if we were living very healthily before that. Okay, um, so then, um, and also too, just back on that, just another quick little rant on the flip side of that, we need to get away from thinking that, you know, if um, people that are, you know, if you are overweight or obese and you have been stigmatized by that, by a health pr practitioner who's basically said, you know, that, well, this is your fault and all you can really do is lose weight, then please, please don't listen to that. It really dis disturbs me and just how much that is affecting you and your self-worth and yeah, everything. So please, I w will hopefully in these podcasts help you understand that that's not true. So I just make sure that you want to know that on the flip side as well, that just because, you know, you've, you may have gained some weight, it, it's likely not your fault. It's very more likely that it is your insulin and your other hormones that are really driving this. And I see this all the time in the people that I deal with. So just to let you know that that's equally as important on the flip side. And last, very quick one from Kate. Um, I have 
ongoing back pain since I came off the pill a year ago. Um, physio can't work it out. Could this be related to PCOS? Unlikely. More, but one thing, one condition it can be related to is endometriosis. Okay, so I would, um, you know, if you go to the Endometriosis UK website, they've got some fantastic resources there, download, they've got a great PDF um, that you can download of all the different symptoms there, and if you think that any of those sound like you, it might be well worth going talking to um, and getting a referral to a gynecologist um, to check that out, especially if you think that it really coincided with coming off hormonal birth control, maybe that was... um, keeping those symptoms at bay and then suddenly you've developed those symptoms and you might be thinking no Claire that doesn't sound like me I don't have period pain again it's like someone saying to me Claire I can't have insulin resistance because I'm not overweight I will show you evidence to the contrary okay so just um, remembering that there are so many different symptoms to endometriosis period pain doesn't have to be one of them Um, it's very common but it doesn't have to be so yeah I'd go and just Go to that website, have a look around, Kate, download that, see if any of those symptoms fit you. If so, go and talk to someone. It might not have anything to do with your periods or it may have just been a complete coincidence that it happened when you come off the pill. But hey, it might not be either and it might give you some clarity. So I hope that that has helped you all. There are so many other questions there that I'll post some some direct ones, especially things that I've already answered in podcasts and stuff like that. I'll direct you back to them. Or things where it's really more kind of personalized, like there's no one size fits all answer and it's really about understanding you and your body and therefore that's what our peace protocol would be relevant for. So this is kind of more like generic questions, but if it's really down to, if your question's more sort of um, your personal circumstances, then I'm going to direct you to our peace protocol program because that's the whole reason I developed it. whole reason is because after 10 years of trying to figure this out myself, I saw how damaging it was flipping from, you know, diet to diet, fitness trend to fitness trend, hoping to find something um, that would be the magic cure when I was doomed all along because there is no magic cure. There is no magic one diet or one form of exercise or one supplement that's going to help. It's really about understanding what's the problem for you and then matching you with a treatment plan which includes not just diet, but how you move, how you exercise, maybe what to talk to your doctor about in terms of medications. Maybe, you know, maybe it's a it's other kind of forms of surgery and stuff like that as well. It's not just about, not everything has to be completely natural, right? Like I think I'm a real firm believer that we use the best of modern medicine um, to help with the symptoms that it helps with, but also then, you know, trying to address that root cause by adapting our lifestyle to suit. But we don't know that until we understand what's the happening with you so I can't give you a you know a a diet plan until I know are you insulin resistant are you um are your stress hormones high and then that's what I've created that program for okay so this is why if it's more you know you wanting to figure out what personally is going to work for you that's where you need that professional advice so I hope that that helps and I hope you've had a great week looking forward to speaking to you again actually next week we're on a break but we'll be back and I will also be posting um, a question box on our Instagram stories for you to submit ideas for podcasts either that's people for me to interview or it is me doing um, like other experts or it's 
me doing, um, you know, just me talking podcasts about any kind of particular subject. So if that, if there's anything that you're thinking, um, and I've picked out a few from the podcast already. So one that I've, sorry, not the podcast, I mean your question boxes, but one that we are going to do one on is a full podcast episode on metformin, similar to what we did for the hormonal birth control, but just looking at all the pros and cons, risks, rewards of that. Um, but yeah, if there's any other ones that you can think of, would love to hear your thoughts on those. Um, if you have enjoyed these, um, would really love if you can leave us a review. I'll post on our Instagram stories as well, just a quick way to do that. It's really simple, takes a couple of minutes. If you've got time this weekend, would be super grateful for you to do that. It just helps other people find this and also know, okay, is this, if you have PCOS, is this worth listening to or is this more bullshit information <laughs> okay so if you think it's worth listening to if you like the kind of evidence-based backing uh then would love to have your review on that so that other people understand what they're in for if they're going to listen to this thanks so much see you later bye bye now stand by for our disclaimer the information contained in this podcast has been prepared for the purpose of providing information, including about the PCOS nutritionist products and services, and is designed to support clients' overall wellness. It is not intended to provide medical advice or designed to rectify, treat, or cure any specific medical conditions or diseases. Nothing stated or shared in our podcast is intended to be and must not be taken to be medical advice. Please seek the advice of professionals as appropriate regarding the evaluation of any specific information, opinion, advice or content contained in our podcast.